Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Momenta on the Main Line. We're your hosts. I'm Dr. Joanna Holleran. And I'm Dr. Alon Green. We're here to talk about all things health, wellness, fitness, performance, and overall well-being. Hope you enjoy the show. Philadelphia, Deanna Seagrave Daly, a registered dietitian, is a food loving dietitian who co owns Teaspoon Communications, a food focused nutrition communications group that has consulted with a variety of national and re- regional health and food organizations for over 15 years. Deanna writes, develops recipes, and dabbles in food iPhoneography and videography for her popular blog, Teaspoon of Spice. She also regularly live streams on Teaspoon of Spices Facebook page, along with her business partner, uh, Serena Ball, where they are known as two dietitians who love food as much as you do. Spanning two decades, her recipe development, traditional and social media communications experience, Deanna has honed her culinary nutrition skills in the Mediterranean lifestyle and has co-authored three books, the best-selling 30-Minute Mediterranean Diet Cookbook, Easy Everyday Mediterranean Diet Cookbook, and coming this December, the Sustainable Mediterranean Diet Cookbook. More than 100 easy, healthy recipes to reduce food waste, eat in season, and help the earth. Most recently, Deanna has teamed up with Bliss Travels, a boutique travel group, to customize trips to Mediterranean locations. The first trip Travel with the Teaspoons Culinary Tour will be in Provence, France this fall with two more trips planned for 2023. Back to Provence next June and then Croatia that fall. Deanna has a BS in nutrition and a BS in um, marketing, both from Penn State. Her teen daughter and tricky eater husband keep her inspired to create appealing, good-for-you family cuisine at home in Havertown, Pennsylvania, where they live with their two rescue cats. Wow, so many questions for you, Deanna. (laughs) But first of all, (laughs) perfect. First of all, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate you spending the time to give us a little bit of uh, information. Perfect. It's a pleasure. (laughs) So I have to ask you first, why nutrition? What sparked your interest in studying nutrition? Well, I kind of went about it uh, a backwards way, I like to say. So I went to Penn State. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And I thought, oh, I'll major in business. So I was a marketing major up until my junior year. But along with many freshmen, um, I did gain a decent amount of weight going away to college because I wasn't playing sports anymore. I was eating at odd hours of the day. And it was my junior year. I was not feeling good about myself. So I thought, oh, let me exercise a little. And that's when I really started paying attention to what I was eating Mm -hmm. because I was just eating whatever I wanted at that time. Um, And so I took a nutrition class as an elective and just immediately fell in love with it. I think part of it was um, because I've always liked to cook 
can I have light food? And then there was a personal interest myself in eating better. And then the instructor was phenomenal. She, her name is uh, Dr. Chris Clark. She recently graduated, uh, sorry, retired from Penn State, but she was getting her PhD at the time. And then she went on to become a, a sports nutritionist, um, a pretty well-known one in the collegiate world. So mm -hmm. she just sparked my interest. And I thought, you can major in nutrition. I didn't even really know what a dietitian was, knew nothing about it. So I looked into it and I was able to then um, figure out. So I got uh, a bat, two bachelor's degree. The, uh, my advisor gave me the best advice ever and said, you're almost, you know, you're almost done your business degree. Don't back out now. You'll do uh, great yeah. with a marketing degree. And so I stayed an extra three semesters and was able to get a bachelor's in um, both marketing and nutrition, which now, I mean, I use interchangeably. Now I couldn't have known it back then, but for what I ended up doing in my career as a almost a non-traditional dietitian, it's um, been in absolutely invaluable. So that's kind of how I got introduced to it. So I was way more interested in to the food role of dietetics where back in the day, um, most dietitians went on to work in clinical roles in hospitals. Right. Um, in, uh, you know, assisted living in food service, that kind of arena. And that was never my interest, the more medical end of it. In fact, that's what hesitated me to go into it because science was never my strong suit. <laughs> um, I really like the other end of it, the education end of it, the food end of it, talking to people, not just about nutrients, but how, how can you eat and how can you enjoy food? But, you know, be better, be healthier at the same time type thing. So I decided to go more in the route of kind of community education um, yeah. setting. Um, so I got my internship to become a reg registered dietitian. Anyone can call themselves as a nutritionist. I like to educate people. Anyone could mm -hmm. put a shingle out and say you're a nutritionist, but much like a registered nurse or a medical doctor um, to become a registered dietitian, you need to have a bachelor's degree in or, or a master's degree in nutrition or dietetics. And then you need to do an internship for a year. Um, so that's, you know, uh, experiences, hands-on experiences. Um, and then you sit for an exam um, and, and then you get the credentials and then you have to do continuing education every five years to recertify, et cetera. So it really is based on science um, and not just, you know, put your shingle out there type of thing. So right. yeah, um, that's, that's how, that's what I did to get started in the field. And that was almost more than 25 years ago, which is crazy for me to think of. <laughs> Time is flying by, I'm sure. Yeah, um, that's awesome. I love that you're you've kind of taken on just the more educational role. And as a fan of your cookbooks, I know we've discussed this uh, outside of this conversation, um, but I really do appreciate the uh, portions of your cookbooks that do kind of prioritize the education um, realm of the of the Mediterranean diet. But what specifically drew you toward the Mediterranean diet, considering all the education that you've had, very extensive education in your background, what was it about the Mediterranean diet? Um, and maybe can you define what exactly a Mediterranean diet is for people who might not be as familiar? A absolutely, absolutely. Um, like many parts of my career, I feel like you know, a lot of it is hard work and absolutely networking who you know, know and kind of being in the right place at the right time. And when I first started out, I worked for nine years um, with the Dairy Association, which hired dietitians to do nutrition education in schools and with health professionals, but also do communications and PR and media. So I kind of learned all of that on the, the job there um, and then doing cooking demos and that kind of thing. And then I started my own business with my business partner, Serena, for the last 
almost 15 years, we've done that kind of work, communications work with companies, um, especially as we've gone into the blogging age and into the social media age. I mean, blogs are almost passe now, but they weren't. <laughs> um, they didn't even exist when I first started out. Um, so we kind of dove into that world and found other like-minded dietitians who were really big about um, having recipes on their blog and talking to people about um, that and showcasing how food, healthy food can look beautiful and gorgeous. Because we know on social media, you know, you're going to click on the something that looks really mm -hmm. amazing and delectable. You're not going to just cook on, click on a pic picture of broccoli. So um, we kind of rallied around dietitians who were doing like-minded stuff so we could you know, compete with maybe some of the blogs out there that had lots of followings and beautiful pictures, but maybe not sharing really sound science, nutrition wise, et cetera, you know, more fad diet type of things. Uh -huh. So as a result, we built our blog teaspoon of spice and we have over 700 recipes over there. This is over, you know, 11, 12 years of work. But as we were doing that, um, it was about five years ago now, almost five years ago, we were approached by an online publisher who's become much bigger than just a traditional publisher now. Um, they're called Callisto and they were looking for experts to write books. Um, and they approached us and said, would you be interested in writing a, a basic book on the Mediterranean diet? Now per se, Serena and I, that's my business partner, weren't necessarily doing recipes just about that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But when we started looking at our recipes and seeing how we preferred to cook and eat, it really did jive with the Mediterranean lifestyle. I have Italian background, Italian American background. So, I mean, I grew up eating lots of pasta, fresh vegetables, <laughs> little less meat, that kind of stuff. So I just felt like that was kind of my area of comfort food. And when I've traveled all over the world, it's been to a lot of Mediterranean countries. I know that's not the same as living in, in there, but it just felt like a, a, a lifestyle diet we were comfortable talking with. And also one that's very, we just don't even like using the word diet because it's become a bad word right, in yeah. our day and age, unfortunately. I mean, the true definition of diet is what you eat, what you eat right. to in your life but it's become this four letter word. Um, so what we really like about the concept of it is talking about all the foods that are featured in these countries that are fantastic to include more into your lifestyle and your eating routine versus following a very strict regimented um, plan. Um, mm -hmm. We're just more about exposing people to those different foods, the different spices, mm -hmm. the herbs, um, the cultures as well, um, as well as the actual diet. So we were approached by a online publisher to do this cookbook, which we had to turn around very quickly. But <laughs> because um, they were a type of company that most publishers, you have a cookbook in mind, you would propose you would find you would write a proposal and submit it to publishers and hope they pick it up this this company does it a different way they are very savvy with online searches so they would see what kind of topics people are searching for beyond cookbooks any kind of topic mm -hmm. um and they found that mediterranean diet was very searchable so they wanted to have a cookbook written by dietitians who obviously were familiar with cooking and food etc so they approached us we thought okay we got to do this it was a really quick turnaround but there was two of us and we were able to take a lot of recipes from our blog and kind of tweak them. And it was such a crazy learning curve, but it was fantastic. <laughs> um, and so that was our first book, the 30 minute Mediterranean diet cookbook. And because of, you know, sheer luck of how they marketed it on Amazon and it's available in all, it's available in all grocery store, uh, gro sorry, bookstores, <laughs> um, like uh, brick and mortar stores, but also on Amazon that to this day, it's still a bestseller. It's still, if you Google Mediterranean diet cookbooks, it's going to be in one of the top searches. Yeah. Um, 
So it just got us even more interested in it. And we learned a little bit more about, um, you know, the Mediterranean diet. I got to go to Israel, which was really awesome too, to expand my horizons there. But back to your original question, (laughs) what is the Mediterranean diet? So basically it's really focusing on a part of the world around the Mediterranean Sea. So it's the countries that surround the Mediterranean Sea. Um, It was a good geography lesson for all of us. because it actually includes over 20 countries. So let me just That's throw wild. that out, Joanna. When you hear the Mediterranean diet, what country or you know, just one or two countries you think about? Like when you hear Mediterranean, what countries come to mind first? Italy and Greece for sure. Yes. So that most people think definitely. Italy, Greece, perhaps like Southern France and Spain. Those are the ones that come up. If you do a Google search, those are the pictures that are going to come up. Those are the cuisines you're going to see, which probably a lot of people are very familiar with those cuisines. But the And that's really the Mediterranean diet. Um, research behind it started in the 60s, focusing really on Greece and Italy. And what they were finding was people there, they were living longer. They seemed to have less heart disease. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where the interest really grew from the nutrition end of things. So it did focus on those countries. But as more and more research has come out... And realizing that it's not just those countries, it's the countries that are surrounding the sea um, have a lot of commonality to them, but they mm-hmm. also have some differences too, just like all cultures do, you know, like states nearby might have some similarities, but a little bit difference too. So mm-hmm. we like to even promote that the Mediterranean diet is beyond those four countries. It is also North African countries. They mm-hmm. border the Mediterranean Sea. So that's Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, Libya, Egypt. And then if you go up um, the Middle Eastern countries that um, lie in the Mediterranean Sea are Palestine, Israel, Syria, Lebanon, and then you get into Turkey um, and the island of Cyprus and even um, coast, uh, Croatia, Albania. Um, uh, Bot- I, I always forget uh, one or two, make sure they're all included, <laughs> but Montenegro, Montenegro, which is a smaller country, and Bosnia, Herzegovina, um, mm-hmm. and Slovenia, and Monaco, and Malta. So it's like this whole swath of countries again that have common ingredients which are olive oil which most people think of Mm -hmm. they're on the sea so lots of fresh seafood lots of fruits and vegetables that grow in those more temperate climates um nuts and seeds and beans um they do include red wine but in moderation too (laughs) and lots of different whole grains and they do um you know utilize poultry and meat too but just in smaller portions so it's basically, again, not a super specific diet versus these are the foods to include and also the lifestyle element, which we right. absolutely miss in America, which is very hard to imitate because over there, many now, obviously they're all different countries, but the way of life is different. You take a siesta, um, most countries, shops close down in the afternoon a lot of times. Now they're becoming more and more you know, modernized within the bigger cities and stuff, but you take time, you sit and enjoy your meal with friends. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not eating huge portions because you're actually taking time to digest and enjoy and they don't snack quite as much, that kind of thing. So right. it's it's also the lifestyle yeah. of it as well, which is really hard to adapt as Americans um, here. But, yeah. um, but long story short, what Serena really and I like to do with our cookbooks is to take that whole Mediterranean diet and make it accessible. So we can be like, okay, here's how you can just Put, start putting elements of it into your lifestyle, how to make it affordable, because that I think is often a myth, like, oh, it's expensive olive oil, fish mm-hmm. is expensive, fruit, fresh fruits and vegetables are expensive. We kind of try to break down those myths and make it very 
show how it can be affordable, but also um, accessible. You don't have to be in the kitchen for hours. You can do things that just, if you stock your pantry or freezer well, that you can pull things out and whip yeah. together a meal that would be considered Mediterranean um, and just, it, it, you can feel good about it type of thing. So mm -hmm. uh, we kind of try to include all of those elements in our cookbooks as well. And, um, you know, I live in the suburbs of Philly, but Serena lives in a very rural area outside St. Louis. So we always say, if she cannot find it in her grocery store, we do not include it in the book. <laughs> it's a great rural. Yeah. So that's kind of like our, our element around there. And then the other thing too, of course, there are going to be ingredients in the Mediterranean. You just cannot get in America or right. they're very expensive. They're not in season or they're just, you know, not the same quality. So what we like to do is sh showcase kind of, um, ingredients that we do have here that are more available that might mimic yeah. the, um, profile. So for instance, right. this book actually has salmon on it. Salmon is not in the Mediterranean Sea. If you really <laughs> get down and dirty about it, the Mediterranean. it's not um, like a warmer weather fish. But the omega threes, those uh, the healthier fats and the the minerals that are in that fish do mimic different fish that you can get in the Mediterranean. So uh -huh. those kind of instances, we like to include, um, you know, things that could mimic what you could maybe find in the Mediterranean. Right. But we try to stay truer to their spices and herbs and really try to introduce people to cuisines beyond Greek and Italian and Spanish and Southern France. We really mm -hmm. try to incorporate some of those um, other countries as well. Yeah, I think your books have definitely broadened my understanding of what the Mediterranean all encompasses because before I definitely was one of those people that few countries came to mind, thought I pretty much had it figured out as far as what to expect um, from the recipes, but I was just blown away. Um, and you're not alone, Joanna. Like it's, <laughs> that's how it's portrayed. I mean, if, unless you visit there or you're from there, that region of the, the world, it's how it's portrayed in just the media. It's those four countries it's boiled down to too, which mm -hmm. is interesting um, as we learn more about different cultures and how some cultures are kind of ignored in certain um, swaths of diets and all that. And what we like to talk about too, you hear about the Mediterranean diet. It's almost like the quote unquote hot, popular lifestyle one, but it's not to say that that is superior to um, cuisine from India or cuisine from certain Asian countries or cuisine from the Nordic region. I mean, all our cuisines, it depends on where we're from. That's where what grows there and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It just does have a lot of wonder there there's probably the most research yeah I was just gonna say there's definitely yeah the most exactly. researched um diet as far as like understanding the benefits of like exactly. reduced cardiovascular disease risk or you know prevent cognitive decline or even like weight loss and weight management I feel like that's the this diet in particular just has so much research about that benefit um which I feel like is what um, people know it for most of the time, or even, you know, uh, the, like diabetes control. I feel like they're often um, exposed to this type of diet, which makes it seem so, so healthy almost that it may not be creative and fun, but you, you guys do such a great job in your cookbooks about introducing new ways to use foods that are, are still so, um, so tasty, but also not in the realm of what you've used them in the past for. For example, for me personally, I remember uh, discovering all the different uses of yogurt that I just never considered before. When I thought about yogurt, I thought about like sweet 
breakfast yogurts with fruit and just, you know, all kinds of sweet toppings, but your books really show me that they can be used in more savory um, manners, which was very eye-opening and definitely changed the way I cook a lot of dishes, to be honest. I love hearing that. I mean, that is why Serena and I write these books for exactly what you're telling us. And that's what we want people to come away with. Like, it doesn't have to be some crazy, ridiculous ingredient. You're going to use once you're going to play it's something maybe you have, and maybe it's just a different way to prepare it. And we, yeah. our motto is we are food loving dietitians. We are two dietitians who love food as much as you do. So how we open every, we do Facebook lives every Thursday. And we are big believers in if it's healthy, if it's that green protein shake and you know it's healthy and you're drinking it and you're like, eh, put it down, put it down. It should taste good. Healthy food should taste good and it can taste good. And guess what? You're not going to like everything. People think I'm crazy. I'm the dietitian. I don't really love cauliflower. I am not on the, I, I want my regular bread. <laughs> Uh, and if it's a vegetable that I'm going to, it is not cauliflower, but that's okay because I eat other types of vegetables too. <laughs> we all have our preferences and that is fine. So if we can ever introduce something, maybe you use anyway in a different light, or for instance, like I think a lot of people don't think they like olives. Well, my husband went to Italy for the first time on our honeymoon and he had olives there. I'm like, this is what olives really <laughs> should taste like and not bashing in America. We're used to the olives, you know, it with the pimentos in it, in the marinade kind of thing. I don't like those either, but if you can get canned olives just in water, like California green olives, they taste like olive oil. It's like eating a buttery snack. So it's kind of sometimes just taking your perceptions away. Like, mm, I don't think I like that. And maybe just having it in a different way um, as well. So yogurt is such a great example because in America it's a, pretty much breakfast. It's a sweet, it's all that. Mm -hmm. but over in Mediterranean countries, they use it almost absolutely in way more savory um, applications, even with shrimp, which sounds crazy, but I had one of the best meals of my life in Israel by the Red Sea. And I put that recipe in our last cookbook, which it sounds nuts, but it was amazing with shrimp and flavored um, the yogurt with like some smoked paprika and some herbs and olive oil and salt and like, and, and a little bit of like honey. And that was it. It was amazing. Wow. So Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. I love that. Um, so I know that your next book is more focused on sustainability and uh, less waste, kind of with a Mediterranean twist. Um, and I love that you're educating your readers about that. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that looks like? When I think of sustainable eating, I think a little bit more um, like plant-based diets and shopping locally but what does that look like with a uh, Mediterranean twist to shop like eco-friendly and just practice sustainable well, practices? Well, I'm so glad you gave what you think of sustainability as, because let me tell you, it is a complicated subject. There's it not is. like one specific, kind of like the word healthy. There's just like not one scenario like everyone can agree on. And there's different layers to sustainability. And it's such like this almost hot buzz buzzword right now. It is, um, yeah, it really is. So um, what we found was we, we love this book. We are so excited for it to come out. We've been talking about it for like a year now. It is coming out in December, finally. <laughs> 
but it really actually this so this is our third cookbook we had um the 30 minute uh, mediterranean cookbook and then we had easy every day which is basically also the same concepts as i was talking before just with a different publisher lots more photos and just more recipes um like we had before but this one really has even changed the way we cook and that's the thing what we love we, we we've been doing this for so long and we still learn from everything every day when we're cooking and we do facebook lives where we showcasing and we've picked up a lot of sustainable tips from our readers and our viewers and so basically that the subtitle of it it's the Med sustainable uh, mediterranean diet cookbook because the mediterranean diet by nature is pretty sustainable and honestly if you really think about it anyone who is eating their you know their country's cultural way of eating is pretty sustainable if you're eating mm -hmm. foods that are grown on your land and are nearby now in minor times that is just not realistic for many of us anymore <laughs> so um but as as a as a uh, just just as a rule that a lot with the mediterranean diet is automatically sustainable too so our tagline is um that uh, the subtitle is more than 100 easy and healthy recipes to reduce food waste, eat, eat in season and help the earth. So basically the definition in general of sustainability is when you're meeting your own needs without compromising the ability of future generation to meet their own needs. So either maintaining those needs or even improving, hopefully, for the next generation before us versus mm -hmm. depleting them, which right. clearly we are doing with climate change <laughs> and all of that. That's why it's such like a high topic right now so right. i think the most there's actually really three layers of sustainability the most one we're all familiar with is the environmental layer of sustainability so it's exactly what you said like eating more locally and um you know like utilizing our natural resources that are most near us you know trying to reduce carbon emissions you hear that 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 buzz phrase a lot too um and doing things that in eating um and growing food that doesn't harm the planet or leaves it in a better place type of thing mm -hmm. but there's different layers to sustainability there's also economic sustainability so while we want to do that we um you know want to make sure that economically people worldwide are sustainable that they're not caught in a cycle of poverty they have access to these resources and that's when and that's a whole nother subject but the whole gmo thing um mm -hmm. and crops and that gets a lot of scrutiny but you know what in some ways that is something that sustains uh, economically you know people's livelihoods and is going to help feed the world as well and that's where social uh sustainability can come into um by the by the year 2050 I, this is in our book and i had to write it down to make sure i got it right the world will have to mm -hmm. find a way to feed an additional two billion people mm -hmm. so oh so that's that's a lot of pressure on farmers and ranchers <laughs> and all of that so they are finding ways and means to be sustainable socially, to make sure that people, you know, have adequate ways of, you know, having um, access to just healthy foods. Um, but also, um, you know, you can go a lot of different la layers with socially economic versus, right. you know, so that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. it gets complicated <laughs> when you're looking in the store trying to feel, is this piece of fish sustainable? Well, it's healthy and it's good, but did it fly halfway around the world? Or, you know, mm -hmm. is it from a species that's being depleted or, and those things change and they're very, um, a lot of the stuff is fluid where, you know, a certain species of fish, let's say, might have been like very abundant years ago and now it's not and that kind of thing. And what are the farming practices behind it? Is it better? You hear a lot about, oh, only wild organic. Well, if you're eating something that's organic, that's flown halfway across the country, is that sustainable? Not necessarily. Mm -hmm. 
necessarily unless you're if it, when you can get something local nearby even if it's a conventional farmer so there's a lot of layers to it so with that very complicated subject what we what we did in this book is we came up with 10 guidelines to just things to think about and it's you do not have to do all of them even if you take one and make it a practice just like anything we do in life when you know you make a practice out of something and the more you do it it becomes a habit right. so one example is using your recyclable bags like forever I didn't do that and then I just realized just keep them in the back of my car I always have mm -hmm. them Oh, that's exactly so, what I do. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I forget to bring them into the store, but you know, just small things like that. Um, any little thing you can do. So we have these 10 guidelines we go through, we make sure every recipe in our book actually hits upon at least a couple of them. Some hit upon main, main, uh, many of them, but just, I won't name them all, but they're just things mm -hmm. like we have a lot of ideas on ways to reduce food waste um, from using, thinking about using everything, like the entire herb, not just the leaves, but the stems too, making mm -hmm. sure you use your entire lemon if you are zesting it for uh, something or the juice, saving your peels from like, um, you know, stalks, uh, carrot peels and onion peels and all that, throwing in a freezer bag. We have a cool recipe just to make your own veggie broth, throw it all in a pot. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely it, appreciate know. that part. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I picked up on those little, those little details those in your little recipes. Doodads. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're starting yeah. with compost or um, compost pile, those kind of things. And they don't have to be crazy out there. I am not a gardener. I am a black thumb. Serena's the gardener. <laughs> I am not. I have killed mint. I have killed grass. But one of our tips is grow your own food. And you, I have done this successfully. If I can do it, anyone can do it. From the um, your, the stalks of like your romaine lettuce, when you cut off the core, you can uh -huh. stick that in water and like regrow some lettuce or regrow oh some allians. like just fun little things like that too. And I'm not saying you have to do all of these things. Certain people are going to pick upon certain things. So mm -hmm. we even have a section we feel pretty strongly about called sustainable. We talk in depth about sustainable seafood, but also sustainable meat and poultry because often you hear that plant it's all the it's all the it's all the cows that are producing all these carbon emissions and it's you know um the that uh ch poultry farmers are horrible to their chickens etc all of mm -hmm. that kind of stuff well right. the realization is all farmers ranchers i mean it doesn't make good even economic sense to treat their animals poorly or not have good animal welfare practices but on top of that they are even more aware of sustainability issues and each year more practices go into place they figure out ways to um the interesting thing with beef um ranchers is beef cows can get into and eat um like the grasslands that are basically you can't plant crops on mm -hmm. they can they can graze on those lands. So now we're using land for that you can't plant crops on, but then it's, it, then this comes back into like the, the social sustainability and the, um, uh, as far as then that is a high protein quality product beef is for people who don't have access to high protein quality beef or meat or animal proteins in, in America, we have an abundant abundant mm -hmm. access to those kind of things but across the world most people get their nutrition from carbohydrates and they are lacking protein sources too mm -hmm. that's a whole nother thing but we get into that a little bit that you don't have to cut out meat and poultry completely if you want to that is fine but if you want to still have it in your diet you can do that they do that in the mediterranean but here's practices on how to do it a little bit more sustainably and a little more wisely and picking less used cuts of beef um in the store maybe looking for local butchers local you can even buy there's certain areas that have local where you can buy part of a beef cow like a csa kind of thing and they like butcher it in different parts and you put it in your freezer type of thing um mm -hmm. 
there's many different things you can do as far as to still have animal protein um, in your life, in your lifestyle. And that they do that in the Mediterranean, but in more sustainable ways. So we have a lot of tips upon that too. And I don't think that's always talked about as well. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know of any resources locally as far as, you know, places to, to shop or, or source your meats? What I always say is go to your local farmer's market because at farmer's markets, there's local farmers. Cause we live in a, we live in a fantastic area because Lancaster County is so near us. That is within a hundred mile radius, mm-hmm. um, but there's even like beef cow sources or um, poultry sources, eggs, obviously local dairies, all that kind of stuff. You're going to find those people at farmer's markets. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is fantastic. And places sometimes like even honestly, like your regular grocery store, they have been they doing a much better job and making source, making sure they're sourcing not just fruits and vegetables, because I bet you've seen that even mm-hmm. in your basic grocery store, we come in, you're like, this is local. They're doing yeah. that now more with dairy, obviously, but other animal um, uh product, you know, uh, meats, poultry, that kind of thing. And you could always ask the store manager too, um, Mm -hmm. which is great as well. So it's just becoming more aware of that. And just like anything, especially with more sustainable meat and poultry and all that, it's more expensive for the farmer, but they're going to do that if customers demand that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, paying a little bit more, but asking for those things. And, and we are as a society doing that. And it makes honestly more economic sense for ranchers and, and farmers um, to kind of work that way as well. It just makes sense for them anyway, for their land and making sure that yeah. it's going to be usable in the future as well. Right. So I just like talking because I've worked with a lot of farmers and ranchers and um people that grow all over the country and every both plant-based animal based and they're some of the hardest working people i've ever met in my life and they are not doing it to make a profit they're doing it because they love the land they love their animals they love um all of that and they just they really um sometimes i think get a little bit of bad bad rap so we include that in there um as well um a little bit that it doesn't i because i think sometimes people see this lifestyle and be like oh i can't eat meat anymore if i can't Mm -hmm. or i can't eat or i have to go completely vegetarian or even vegan and if you want to do that of course that there's ways to do that and that's fine but that's not even the true mediterranean um lifestyle as well so Mm -hmm. there's kind of something for everyone in our books we label everything that it's either vegan, vegetarian, if it's gluten-free, if it's nut-free, if it's um, dairy-free. Um, and most of our books, about 50%, I'd see, say, are vegetarian, but we certainly have meat and cha- uh, poultry chapters. We have we have fish chapters as well. Mm-hmm. But very easily it can be adapted if you are just focusing more on a plant-based diet as well. Yeah, awesome. I, so I don't even remember your original see. question, <laughs> but I went off on a tangent. So. No, I was just asking about uh, uh, sustainability oh, and what that, yes. uh, as far as like what that looks like with a Mediterranean style. Yeah. But I mean, those yeah. practices are really what it comes down to, you know, really kind of getting into the habit and just having the awareness of what you're doing with your food and how much of it you're using and just where it's yeah. coming from and what's in season and, um, yeah. and what's in season locally. But um that's, those are all fantastic. Exactly. To point out too, because sometimes that can even seem overwhelming. A lot of that stuff is we really talk a lot about 
using canned goods, using frozen goods, that canned and frozen vegetables, fruits, they're just as great. They really are. And, and, and especially when we're talking out of season kind of things, mm-hmm. because first of all, you're not going to throw them out. We throw out like one, I think it's like one third of the fresh produce and food we buy. We throw it out, which is insane. And I'm not, I'm not lecturing anyone. I am just as guilty, like something gets shoved to the back of the refrigerator and you forget about it. Right. Well, if it's in the freezer or if it's canned, it's going to last longer automatically. So there you are. Also, one of our one of our guideline tips is use what you have on hand. So you're going to be much more apt to be able to get whip together a quick meal that could be a little more Mediterranean focused, a little more healthy focused. If you have some canned beans on hand, if you have some frozen veggies or frozen shrimp in the freeze, uh, frozen fish in the freezer um, to whip something together, um, mm-hmm. you know, and some whole grains that are in the pantry, et cetera. So we talk about that a lot as well um, to kind of make use of what you have on hand. And we talk about good staples that are shelf stable um, yeah. sort of thing, and that they can be just as nutritious. Plus they can be more economical as well. Right. Um, too. So we talk a lot about um, ways that those kind of things can be incorporated. So it's not the myth that everything has to be used, has to be fresh. Right. Um, yeah. No, that's right. just not Sensible. possible. And that's not always sustainable too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely appreciated that portion of your book. That was just saying have these things on hands have this in your pantry and have these in the cabinet that really I think that for me was the barrier breaker as far as okay this is definitely sustainable and I don't have to be constantly running to the grocery store every day to be getting you know different fresh produce because that for me is a big thing I don't want to be shopping a million times a week I want to go once or twice get everything I need have a plan so just have knowing what to have on hand too in those moments when you're kind of feeling snacky because like you said we're a little bit snackier here in the states um but yeah having just beans just having beans in the in the cupboard has changed my diet significantly just after having wonderful it's it's, here and how easy it is to just whip up hummus people i think are always blown away by that you don't even need tahini is traditional in it which is a sesame like a sesame paste like a sesame butter basically but you can even make it with peanut butter and a can of chickpeas and some olive oil a little salt pepper and you're ready to go it's yeah i mean never would have (laughs) so what is your favorite recipe from your cookbooks do you have a favorite oh my gosh Can you, oh my, that's like picking my favorite baby. And we're at the point, it's funny, Serena, I like, wait, did we do that? We are actually crazy enough. This one's coming out in, um, this is my long-winded way of answering your question. Um, We have this book coming out in December and we are, as I'm talking to you and we're starting to promote this one, we are working on our fourth one. (laughs) I think that's the last one for a while, but it's gonna, it's called Smart Mediterranean. It is taking, incorporating everything about the Mediterranean diet and how it ties into there's lots of research and more and more emergent research coming out, how it helps with, you've mentioned before, but like cognitive health. So brain health, but also mental health, which isn't always talked about as far as tied in with diet. Mm-hmm. We're, to yeah. talk, we're starting to talk about a lot more, I feel like in our country, thank goodness, like being more open about it. It's not so stigmatized, but I think a lot of it's talked more about just maybe therapy, maybe medicines to help, which is part of the picture, but diet is absolutely Mm -hmm. part of the picture. When is it not? Right. But it's really interesting things showing about certain vitamins and foods that can help with depression and anxiety and that kind of thing. And guess what? A lot of them are on that Mediterranean diet in the, Mm -hmm. in the world. So 
Um, so right now I'm like, is it something I just made for that book? Or is it something I made for the book that came out um, <laughs> that's coming out or the one, one before that? Um, well, let me mention ones that are already out. My second book, um, our second book, The Easy Everyday Mediterranean, one of my favorite ones that it's a go-to, um, we do all the time. And it's funny, after it came out, it kind of, there was a variation of it that became a fun like TikTok kind of recipe mm -hmm. and it's where you take a block of feta you basically take canned tomatoes and sometimes I'll throw some chopped tomatoes into it in a big skillet um, and you heat it up with some fresh herbs and you put a block of feta in there and throw some shrimp in and there's a little olive oil in there and garlic as well um, and you basically like cook that all down in 20 minutes you have this like really amazing kind of fresh tomato sauce with shrimp in it and then the feta you break it up into chunks and it kind of melts into mm -hmm. it and you can that to dip with bread. You could put it over pasta, oh, you can it with salad. It is ready in like 20 minutes. And that's most of our recipes. We really try to make sure that they are, you're not going to be in the, the, the kitchen for hours, um, mm -hmm. for more than an hour that you can like throw something like that together. And then you can improvise that. We do, a, we have a lot of recipes where we're like, okay, we do this. Every single one of our recipes has something called a healthy kitchen hack at the bottom. And it will either give you a substitution tip or something to do with maybe if you have some leftover dressing from the recipe. So it's just like another little tip or like a shortcut kind of thing. Um, so like something like that, you could do fish in that. You could do chicken in that if you wanted to. You can make a vegetarian and put some beans in it instead of um, shrimp. So a lot of our recipes too are almost like a um, I feel like a template or like a, you know, something yeah. that you can swap in some of your favorite things or something that you have on hand. So oh. a lot of my favorite dishes tend to be um, the, the seafood ones. I just love all kinds of seafood and of course pasta too. Um, but I think it just depends on, on the mood I'm in too. Um, <laughs> but in our sustainable one coming out, we have a version of it in the second one, but in the sustainable one coming out is this really quick, easy um, pizza dough that you can literally make in minutes you don't have to let it rise because we use yogurt in it instead of uh -huh. like a yeast uh, um, yogurt and just, yeah and then it's fresh fresh pizza dough right then and there that you don't have to like make from scratch or even if you you know buy it from the store you have to let it sit out to room temperature and then obviously you put anything you want on a pizza mm -hmm. um for sure but I mentioned that other one before the shrimp. I'm talking a lot about shrimp recipes, which is funny. <laughs> honestly, I'll do a little education right now. Shrimp isn't the most sustainable seafood. Uh, something with seafood to make it more sustainable is to choose a variety of seafood. Like the top seafood we eat in America is, is shrimp, is salmon. Um, those, those are the top two. So if you can expand your horizons beyond that, it's good. There's not a lot. A lot of shrimp is... Um, harvested overseas and then flown in. So it's not always the best for, mm -hmm. um, you know, food miles. We like to say, you know, maybe eat it a little bit less. And if you're going to um, enjoy it, spend a couple extra money and use more of, get the local stuff from the U.S. So, cause it's mm -hmm. a little less travel type of thing, but then try to try different fish that is just outside your horizons or tried can cans. There's tons of really good canned fish. Trader Joe's now has these smoked canned mussels that are amazing. It's like smoke. If you like smoked salmon, mm -hmm. it's, you know, so trying something like that sometimes, maybe trying something a little, you know, if you maybe like clams with pasta, we just have some ideas like that in our um, sustainable book coming out as well. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of, um, I'm just, let me think of another one that might be <laughs> right for, oh, there's the, my favorite one again, seafood. It's coming out in our uh, most recent, uh, in our next book is the seafood um, farro risotto. I love risotto. So it's making risotto, not from a rice, but from farro, which is almost like a barley grain, which is right. delicious. 
um, and it's using canned um, seafood and um, it's really pretty yummy. My tricky eating husband loved it. So oh my gosh. I, I call him a tricky eater husband and he liked it. So I'm like, if he eats it. Good sign. Good sign. <laughs> I can't wait um, to try that one. Yeah. Oh, one more. I just thought, of course, I'm trying <laughs> remembering all of them. There's a version of it in our first book where it's literally making your homemade hummus, which takes seconds in a blender. And then you, under a broiler, grill some like onions, some red onions um, or purple onions and some chicken with some olive oil and some spices. And then you serve it over the hummus. Well, the one that I like, oh, probably even more is coming out in the sustainable cookbook where you take ground beef. And this is another way you can make beef more sustainable. Ground beef is we chop up mushrooms really, really finely and we cook them and we mix them with the ground beef and you can't even tell it extends wow. the ground beef and yeah. now you're getting a vegetable with it. You can do that with beans too. You can mash up beans like white beans are very mild and mix them into like a tomato sauce with meat and you're not even going to taste them. And now you've extended the meat. You're adding a veggie serving. But this one has ground beef with chopped up mushrooms really fine and some fresh herbs and again, some spices all mixed together. And then you serve it over hummus. So it's like ground beef over hummus. And then we put chopped tomatoes on top with parsley. And it is so stinking good with like scooping it up with <laughs> bread. And yeah. it takes like 20 minutes to make. So oh my gosh, that is such a good tip to mix in yeah, vegetables with like your that. meat. Who would have yeah. thought? Oh, and I will mention that um, Joanne, I'm telling, is like our like number one fan right now with the soups. She, she loves the soups. Oh my gosh. And I'm going soups. to uh, tap into her. So all our, well, our, this, we didn't do it with our first book, but we've done it with every book since. We test with home cooks. We test at least 40% of our, 30 to 40% of our recipes are tested by home cooks. So we get them to a point where we think they're good and then we send them home. Um, and Joanna says she'd be our, a tester for um, our next cookbook. Um, and then we have people like honestly tell us, did it work? Did it not? What do we need to tweak? Did you like it? And we adapt it based on their um findings so it's it's like triple tested at some point yeah a lot of the recipes i do serena does and then we have someone else tested so it's tested by people that are home they're mm -hmm. not chefs they don't have a million pans they they might have preferences certain foods so um that's what makes us feel better about them too because we've been we've read enough recipes and we've tried enough recipes i'm sure you have too that just don't work and there's nothing more frustrating so right um, or too complicated in some manner, but getting that yeah, real too complicated, life, or yeah. you do it and it doesn't work, and you're like, this is not, you know, we 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 really try to stand by the recipes to make sure that not only they work, but people like them. So right, yeah, yeah, getting that real life feedback is very valuable, and I, you're so right in that. I'm a soup fan. I will tell you one time, I did manage to burn a soup, which didn't know that was possible, but that was just me not paying attention. It is still turned out delicious. Honestly, the burnt flavor just still it just like amplified it, made it a little bit better almost. But um, yeah, that that was interesting. It. But the mushroom farro soup, love that one from your um, from your your cookbook. So good. Um, okay, I want to touch quickly on your traveling um, plans as far as with the teaspoon of spice crew. What did you guys call it? The uh, travel with the teaspoons. So yes. um, I just feel like we kind of keep reinventing ourselves a little bit as entrepreneurs. So for, you know, we did PR for a long time for companies and then we were in the blogging world, social media world and educating dietitians on how to run blogs and take pretty photos on their iPhones and that kind of thing. And then 
um, doing some live streaming and then the cookbooks. And this is kind of like um, the next cycle we feel like again, being at the right place, right time. I was networking with this uh, local woman named Wendy Jagger. She owns Bliss Travels in Philadelphia um, at the end of last year. And she does these custom made, um, very kind of exclusive small trips to, um, she started in France and then she does some in Spain um, and Amsterdam, but also Croatia. And we started talking and she found out I had a cookbook and she was really interested and she said, would you ever want to like travel to some of these Mediterranean places and do kind of like, we do a dual tour together. Like I already do these tours, but you could then come and talk about like the culinary aspects to it and all of that. And I was like, well, that sounds really interesting. <laughs> so we're so excited. I mean, it kind of happened really fast, but we've launched these series called Travel with the Teaspoons. So um we uh the first one will be to provence france that's southern france um in this october in a couple months which is crazy to think uh and i think it's about 12 people that are going with myself and wendy and we will be in a very small like a little town in provence she doesn't even tell people outside the trip where we're going because she wants to kind of keep it that she has all these it's really fun and inclusive and very um custom-y type of thing so we'll be visiting like an olive oil uh you know an olive grove and where they make olive oil and just trying all the different um cuisines that are in the southern southern france this time of year so that'll be our first trip and then we're going back to Provence next June because seasonally that will be a very different trip. Even we're going to the same location because the foods will be different in season. It's poppy mm-hmm. season, lavender season. Serena will be coming on that one. And then the third one we just announced will be a year from September, which is Croatia, which I'm very excited about because I have never been there. And it's almost like the unspoken charm of the Mediterranean that hasn't really really been discovered a lot yet at least from this part of the world and mm-hmm. it's right on the Mediterranean Sea and we will be it's some of Wendy said some of the best food she's ever eaten in her life now this is a woman who's been to France endless amounts of times so I'm <laughs> really excited about that one and um and if anyone is interested in hearing more they can um teaspoonofspice.com is our website and there's information on all those trips there and, and my web and my emails on there and people can ask mm-hmm. about that the one the one this fall is, is sold out but the other two um there are slots left so we just announced the Croatia one but um yeah it's i'm really excited about this kind of next adventures because it's one thing to talk about it but then to actually eat the foods in the yeah. country um and with what part of the thing that i'm going to be doing is talking to people okay now that you've been to this country and you've had these foods how can you kind of recreate that at home when mm-hmm. we don't have access to the very local cheese or you know the very local specific produce how can you do that at home so yeah how can you recreate it that's yeah. awesome so i can't wait to hear about those and i might be yes. going to croatia with you <laughs> Well, maybe yes. You and uh, 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 Alon, come on, that'd be awesome. Okay, I want to get through these lightning round questions. So, you leave okay. at the end of each podcast. Um, just some quick questions about um, random things. Doesn't have to be quick answers, but um, we're gonna get rolling with those. What is the most influential book you've read? Oh my gosh! Put on the spot. Um, well, I'll say, how about, can I say like a cookbook? Cause that's all we're talking about, but yeah. also a regular book too. So, um, uh, a cookbook is the Fanny Farmer cookbook with, that's just, um, a staple from way back in the day. It's been revised many, many times, but my mom gifted me that 
um, probably right before I went to college. And it's just to this day, a reference that I like just use and love. And I feel like I grew a lot of my love from that started from that. I mean, I have many other cookbooks I reference, but that's when I go back to all the time. It kind of reminds me of that. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, to make note of that one. Yeah. <laughs> the book that, um, pops to mind. I feel like it's the first book I read as a younger person that just totally to this day sticks with me is to kill a mockingbird. Just, mm-hmm. um, that you could, re- there were so many books I read in school that I was like, ugh. and I think I reread them as an adult and kind of got it, but mm-hmm. I felt like that just, that spoke to me back in the yeah. days. Yeah. That's, I think going back to rereading the books that you read throughout school is such a good way yes. Yes. to really connect You're with like, them wait, in ways that you didn't exactly. want to in school. Yeah. That's such a good, good idea. Is there anything you're reading right now? Um, yes, I, well, I kind of go back and forth. I have a pile of books and, um, the one that is, um, I have on loan that's, uh, that's gonna, I have on reserve at the library is David Sedaris's last next, uh, most recent book. Uh, he's one of my favorite authors. He's hilarious. He's, um, kind of like a, a comedic writer that writes lots of essays about his life and he's been around forever. He does shows all over the country, but um, his most recent one just came out and I have that on hold. But the one I'm reading right now, I actually, I do like some of the young adult, like um, uh, what is it? Dice, uh, Dystopia, kind of like the Hunger Games and um, Dystopia, well, I love yeah. Harry Potter and all that. But actually there's a prequel to the Hunger Games that I didn't even know came out a couple of years ago. So I'm reading that because I started oh. reading the Hunger Games with my daughter and she was kind of into it, but then um, we didn't finish the series. So I had to reread the series and then I'm reading that sequel too. Nice. But I am the other book that I thought, oh, that reminds me too. I did. I am reading the Anne of Green Gables with her and she loves it. Even though oh. it's such an old book, it's like an old fashioned book, but I loved it growing up and she's liking it too. So um, we're reading that series now. Too. Oh, that's nice. So how's that for about three answers? <laughs> I love it. I love it. The more the merrier. <laughs> I never read as much as I want to read, um, yeah. but I am going to the beach soon. So that's where I feel like I do a lot of my reading on the beach. Perfect. So. Yeah. Yeah. Those vacation reads when we feel like we have the time. <laughs> okay. So this one, I feel like I have a good idea about something that you might say, uh, but we ask this to everyone. Um, if you could have any meal delivered to your door tonight from anywhere in the world, what would it be? Oh my gosh. Um, I still, to this day, dream about the paella I had when I backpacked across Europe when I was, oh my gosh, it was like 30 years ago <laughs> um, in Barcelona, Spain. And it's funny because back then that's even before I was really like into different food and we yeah. were traveling dirt cheap, like literally backpacks on our back, staying at youth hostels. And me and my friend stumbled upon this restaurant where, you know, they barely spoke English. My friend spoke a little Spanish. We were trying to figure out what was on the menu. And at one point we were pointing to a word and he was trying to describe it, what it was. And then all of a sudden he lit up and he's like, oh, a Bugs Bunny, Bugs Bunny. And we're like, oh, that's rabbit. No, I I don't want that. <laughs> I remember that. Oh that my gosh. And it was just unbelievable. Unforgettable, clearly. That's that, awesome. Yeah, that or you know what? Honestly, it, the most, I mean, the most recent trip I went internationally was Israel and it's some of the best food I've had in my entire life. I'm dying to go back there and do like a true culinary tour there. That mm-hmm. was more of a just sightsee jam in as many different places as you could in two weeks. Yeah, right. Amazing. But I would go back and do like a food tour there in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Incredible food there. Incredible. I do have to add that 
See, to I never give one answer. No, that's okay. That's okay. That's why I say never quick, but we welcome <laughs> that for sure. Um, okay. If you, so this is a little deeper, putting you on the spot a little bit. If you could go back in time and give advice to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give yourself? Um, I would have said, well, yeah, I, the one I always feel like no regrets in life, you know, you move forward, you don't have to dwell on the past, like what if, what if, would it, but one thing I would have gave myself advice for would have been like stick with your French classes and get over being embarrassed about how you speak French. I took six years <laughs> of French and then never did anything with it, but I was always so self-conscious how I spoke. And that's the one thing I wish I would, and I would have said, go study abroad because that's how you learn, I really wish I would have right. learned how to speak another language. I know it's not too late, but it's so much easier to do it back then. <laughs> you know, yeah, so I wish I would have said, go somewhere, go to France and study abroad there and learn French. So mm-hmm. that's probably what I would have told myself back then. Go do that. But I can relate to that. I took four years of Spanish in high school and then three years of Italian in college. And I, you wouldn't think that I spoke any <laughs> Spanish or Italian at all. I wish I had practice and really gone and submerse myself in the culture because that's yeah. Internet, but yeah my sister does that I am envious of her because she did live in Italy for over four years and got to, I visit her often but she's to this day speaks fluent Italian so yeah oh, but that's one day when I still dreaming yes. of it <laughs> okay so tell us where people can find you websites social media where can people contact you so teaspoonofspice.com is our website. And at this point, it used to be a blog where we'd update it all the time. At this point, it's more of like a recipe resource. So it's great. You can go on and Google. We have all as tons of recipes on there. We also have a recipe index. So if you ever have an ingredient and you're like, oh, what do I do with it? You can go type in that word and all our recipes will come up. But all our information about the, um, our cookbooks are on there. You can pre-order the sustainable diet cook uh, book right now on Amazon. It's on sale. It's at every... Um, you know, it's on every, it's at Barnes and Noble, it's at Target. Um, if you want to support an ind- independent bookstore, um, I think it's Indie Print is the overall that has all the independent bookstores and you can buy it through an independent bookstore too. Um, and then the other big thing, we kind of died down on social media, but Facebook is where we do, we've taken a little bit of a break off the summer, but we pretty much between Serena and I, we trade on and off. We do lives almost every Thursday at 12 30 PM. Um, and it's just from our kitchens. It's either me or her. And we kind of talk through a recipe or maybe something that's in season and, um, feature some things. And as we get closer to our cookbook launch, we'll be doing a lot of stuff around that, giving away free cookbooks and, um, some other, we hope we hook up with some sponsors and can do some things that way. The other thing, if you are interested, um, in hearing when we're doing those kind of things, we do have a weekly newsletter. It just comes to your new, um, e-box, um, on Sunday afternoons. We don't sell your name to anyone else. You just you can unsubscribe anytime, but it it also it, it will give you the update. So it will tell you like, oh, what did we do on Facebook Live this week? We curate a couple recipes that are in season. We kind of talk about like, again, if we have a trip coming up or if there's any, we have some exclusive things that only the newsletter people get, um, some healthy kitchen hacks. Sometimes we do giveaways. So if you just are interested in, you know, keeping up with what we're doing, um, that's right on the website. You can see where you, we can, you can subscribe to our newsletter. Like, like I said, you can unsubscribe anytime. Um, but that's another place where you can get information from myself and um, Serena as well. Serena, and here's yeah. another poll. She has a very cute little baby that she'll have on Facebook Live. So yeah. a little. 
we'll guess that. A little. I have one child. That's her fifth child. So, oh my gosh, wow, big family. I don't know how she does it. Yeah, so <laughs> that's just proof that this is a sustainable, affordable. Oh my gosh, way she, of is life. The, she is the epitome of that for sure. That's amazing. I love that. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to really elaborate fully on the mentoring diet and really kind of expand our understanding of it and how extensive it really is just beyond, you know, the basics, olive oil and, um, you know, yogurt. Yeah, we really appreciate that. And I will link everything um, in the show notes today so that people can find you easily, your website, your links to your cookbooks. Um, and we will definitely have you back to discuss oh. further your trips and just new discoveries from France and Croatia um, and your newest uh, smart, smart Mediterranean diet book. I'm very, very interested in hearing more about that in the future. Well, I would love to come back and thank you so much for having me on your platform. I was listening to a couple of your other um, podcast episodes, and I think it's such a great um, resource in addition to the podcast world. So I love uh, going to you as a provider, but also chatting with you as well. So thank you too for all the support you've given um, our cookbooks too. Yeah, of course. So happy to get the word out there and let everyone know how wonderful this diet is. Thank you so much. All right. We'll see you next time. Thank you everyone for listening. Bye.